Episode 19, David Swider, Bose, McKinney, and Evans. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. All right, so welcome back to Gut Plus Science. It's Nikki, and you know on this show we talk about a myriad of topics that impact employee engagement. Our goal is to equip company leaders with the greatest best practices to unlock highest potential of our employees because they are empowered to bring their greatest force to work. So outside of figuring out multiple generations in the workforce, how to keep up with the speed of technology, and the fact that there are more options than ever to find work that just make it harder to keep our people and attract our people, we need to keep an eye on some critical issues in the workplace that drive legal matters that ultimately play a really big factor in decreased engagement. So these are pretty wow factor statistics. Get this. With an average of 48% of American workers reporting an experience of some form of abuse in the workplace... Wow. And more than 50% of workplaces on average struggle with fairness issues. These are pretty significant things that need a light shined and an expert to give us some advice. So not only is it costing, you know, employers millions of dollars um, because of these, these issues, but if these things aren't solved, they are detrimental to being able to drive these employee engagement efforts that we learn of. So we've got to really gain some insight on it. So today we're going to be talking with an expert. Um, we're talking with David Swider, who's a partner at Bose McKinney and Evans. He's the chairman of the Labor and Employment Law Group. And Dave is passionate about being a mentor to executives and HR leaders to build healthy and thriving workplaces. So before we welcome Dave, let's hear from our sponsor. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, the process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent Strategy serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. Oh, and did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. All right, Dave, and welcome to the show. So you know Gut Plus Science is all about equipping leaders with the best information possible to help them build healthy workplaces where employees thrive. Now, legal challenges in the workplace are constantly at the forefront today. I feel like we're always reading a headline uh, in the news, always things coming up around legal issues in employment situations. So if we have employees who feel mistreated, threatened, treated unfairly. Our effort to engage them will most likely never stick. So this is stuff that it's unique to the show, but I think very important for our listener base. So welcome to the show. And Dave, I know we've got a lot to cover. So I'm going to open up with this question to kind of set the stage. So how is the tight labor market of today posing higher legal risk in the workplace? Hi, Nikki. Uh, That's a very good question. And it probably has several answers in terms of what I do in in practicing law and and representing employers in in labor and employment law matters. Things that we have preached in the past that we're now saying, okay, how can we relax in an effort to help you uh, hire and maintain talented employees are what are presenting the challenges. Some examples would be 
you know, in the past, you may have had a zero tolerance uh, drug and alcohol test that anybody who was taking illegal drugs couldn't work for you. And now we're saying, wait a minute, maybe we're going to miss out on a lot of talent opportunities if we have a zero tolerance policy. Background checks. If somebody has a criminal background or our, our system shows that there are credit problems in the past, we may not have hired these people um, who show up with red flags. Now we may want to relax that. And that has its own set of risks from the legal standpoint, but benefits again from the from what I think is the most important part, and that is uh, being able to attract and maintain and engage employees. Uh, diversity initiatives. We're going to spread our net wider so that we can bring in a greater array of candidates, but we have to be careful how enthusiastically and how vocally we undertake those measures because those present legal risks. And finally, um, in the age of the Me Too movement, we have to be careful uh, in the zero tolerance world where we say, look, we're not going to permit any kind of harassment, sexual harassment at all. Uh, and the penalty for that is going to be termination. Well, you might impact, and, and even the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has expressed some concerns that if you are too heavy-handed in this area, you may prevent people from coming forward. And to the extent you're doing that, um, it's counterproductive because you're not going to empower engage and engage your workforce if they're working in a climate of harassment or fear of reporting harassment such that I might affect a result that I didn't want to achieve. I, I'm a little uncomfortable here, but that doesn't mean I want my uh, supervisor to be fired over a, a comment uh, that, that he or she made uh, that I took offense to. All of these are uh, fully loaded topics for sure. And I think the way that I'd love to break them down is you know, all of us that are in the workplace dealing with the 62 open positions that are on our uh, website right now and just trying to fill, we just get so overwhelmed by the workload of bringing talent in and then, oh, by the way, figuring out ways to keep them because 70 some percent of people are open to looking for a new job, you know, at any given time. So I'd love for you to just shed some light on you're seeing the the other side of this where you know, sometimes we take shortcuts and, and the things that are happening inside of companies that do that and how that can cause such a bigger issue. And so let's break each one of these down. So when it comes to drug and alcohol testing, what are you seeing when, when, it, when it comes to some of that lax just mentality and what do you recommend or just kind of like, what is the mindset that you'd like to give advice to our executives listening to the show today? Well, I think what happens, Nikki, is we tend to overcompensate, and that's that's something we do in life in general, and certainly in the workplace, it hits us uh, time and time again. And so we go from a situation in which we have zero tolerance to one uh, in which we tolerate almost anything, or we're tolerating things that we shouldn't because they're setting bad precedent for us, and they're infecting the workforce in certain ways. So each time you look at a policy and get a sense that that policy may be a bit counterproductive, may be a little bit harsh, don't forget the reason you had the policy in the first place, such that if now we have applicants who may have you know, spent the weekend in Colorado uh, where they could use marijuana uh, and it wouldn't be unlawful, or you have people who may be taking it medicinally, and then they apply for a job with you and they test positive 
for marijuana, maybe we discuss the issue with them, make it clear that we won't tolerate anyone coming to work under the influence of alcohol or drugs, because again, your point is a good one. Uh, we face major risks, particularly if people are in safety sensitive jobs and they're coming to work uh, mentally impaired because of taking even uh, prescribed drugs. So we still have to be careful and we have to ratchet up our care to areas where there really is a safety sensitive concern. But at the same time, we may want to give some room and some grace, and maybe that's helping them through, if there is a problem, helping them through an, an EAP uh, to get themselves straight. And in, in other words, what we deviating from is in the past where we would just uh, exclude vast number of applicants and perhaps fire or, or take harsher measures against employees who may have used drugs on one occasion or may have prescribed medication instead of working with them to incorporate them back into the workforce or bring them into the workforce. So it's, again, a question of balance. We don't want to go too far in one direction, but easing uh, the tight approach we used in the past um, might make good sense for us. Let's go into the the background check, check topic. So maybe you could share a story with us. It's like a, a common storyline that you see around maybe companies that cut corners because at face value, they just make an assumption that somebody's, that they're going to be fine and we have way too many positions to fill. So skip the background check or what are, what are other storylines that are typically happening that you would just advise our listeners look out for around background checks? Well, I think, again, it, it's a question of degree. To the extent that we have a policy that says we're not going to hire people who have arrest records, we're going to be in legal hot water anyway, because an arrest without a conviction doesn't mean anything. And in the world of discrimination, where a policy might have a disproportionate impact on a protected group, you're going to find that um, minorities um, may have been arrested more than non-minorities. Well, if you use that as a criterion, you're, you're not only eliminating potential good people, um, you're violating the law because you don't have a good business justification for that approach. To move it one step further, if somebody has a criminal conviction, many employers had taken the position that, hey, we don't want anybody with a criminal conviction working in this workforce or in, in, in this employment setting. It, it poses too many risks for us. Well, what the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission did was say, look, that, that policy is going to create the same kind of disparate impact concerns, and therefore, you really need to do this more on a case-by-case -case basis than across the board. And that is good for employers as well, because what we're looking at is not a policy that says anybody with a criminal conviction can't be hired, but we're going to look at what was the criminal conviction? How long ago was it? Does it impact in any way what they're doing for us now? Have they successfully been able to perform their job over the past few years? Again, we don't want to lose the protection of a background check because we could be negligently exposing our employees and the public to real problems if we don't do the background check. 
but the results of that check shouldn't be an automatic disqualifier. I think we need to look at it on a case-by-case basis and make the best judgment call and do that consistently uh, in deciding whether we want that person as a part of our workforce or not. Really, really good advice. Sound advice. Wonderful, Dave. So let's talk a little bit about diversity because it is such a hot topic and I feel like we're going to really go into this one. But I know you come up against many situations where simple comments can become a very big risk to the business while trying to build a more diverse organization. And I think our goal, you and I, is just to make our leaders more aware of it's a great thing to be very focused on driving diversity in the organization, but we have to be cognizant of the things that we're saying and the way that we're doing that. And so I'd love for you to kick us off with maybe a couple of examples of things that might look pretty simple, like, oh, they sure didn't mean to do something like that, but it could be a very big issue. And then just give us the lay of the land on some of the things that are best practices around keeping ourselves safe when it comes to being legally correct in our diversity efforts. Again, a, a very good um, area to, to discern what we can do and, and what we can't do and what we should do and what we shouldn't. And maybe the best background for it is to understand that where we have discrimination in the way that we approach attracting workers hurts us as a business in many ways, one of which is in a tight labor market we're going to disqualify a vast number of qualified, very good, engaged employees from working for us. So if my policy was one in which, for instance, I decided I really don't want to have a lot of minorities in the workforce because they're going to create problems. I've got legal protections that other people don't, and therefore I don't want them. I'm I'm going to hurt myself, not only in a legal way, I'm going to hurt myself in a practical way because I'm eliminating from my consideration a tremendous asset. And so diversity in itself takes us beyond the old protected statuses that we all knew about, which may be gender, national origin, and moves us into perhaps the LGBT community, other areas that we might have our own biases against, which are going to work against us in achieving the overall good of our organization. And so uh, I agree with you, the diversity initiative to widen the net, to make us a more welcoming employer for everybody, regardless of, of what individual tenants people might serve or statuses or characteristics they might have is a good thing. Where it becomes a legal problem is where we elevate it to the point that we're now placing others at a disadvantage or they get the perception that they're at a disadvantage. So uh, a good example might be, I I really want everybody to know that I'm an affirmative action employer and, and I want to promote minorities or I want to promote women in my organization. And so I may go to a, a board meeting and say, look, I really want my next senior vice president of operations to be a woman. You know, we, we just don't have enough women in the C-suite. So that's what I'm going to do. Well, once I make that statement, now I have put myself in a legally vulnerable position because the discrimination laws, which are really the primary concerns that we have in this arena, 
don't say you can't discriminate against women. They don't say you can't discriminate against minorities. They say you can't discriminate based on gender. And so if I'm a man and now I don't get hired and a woman who you know does get hired doesn't have the same qualifications, the same experience I do, I'm in a good position to say I've been discriminated against because I'm male. And here's, here's uh, evidence piece number one. You said you were going to do everything you could to hire a female for this position. And that can work with minorities. That can work on a national origin front. We just have to be careful that in our enthusiasm and our efforts to promote diversity, we're not on the other side creating legal risks for ourselves because we're now discriminating on some protected status uh, that could get us into trouble. Does that make sense to you? That makes sense a lot. And it takes me down the path of understanding how we train our people, because some of these things can be easy slip ups that it was an accident on what we said, you know, but just we weren't aware of what the law is and and the ramifications behind some of these things as we're trying to drive these diversity initiatives. So I'd love to hear from you. What are the recommended training topics for organizations on different things like discrimination, harassment in your world? How are you recommending that? How often and who participates? Beyond that, how can we make it a balanced approach? Because I think so often we get lawyers who are speaking on a topic like this who can scare us into inaction. What we really need is as we're looking at training on any of these fronts, which are good things, they're good things to raise sensitivity in the workforce. We want to be sure that we're also running a practical front so that here are some of the things we need to avoid. And and essentially, they're not that complicated. We just want to treat people equally under similar circumstances. And we have to understand that if we relax a policy for one, our favorite employee, we're going to have to relax that policy for our headaches as well. So being trained and having your managers and supervisors trained in these dimensions um, need to be multifaceted so that I'm not, and, and my concern is whenever I come into a workforce, I'm dealing with the lowest five or 10% of the workforce. And, and you, you hate to aim or gauge your policies towards the problems and there in doing that lose all the 80 to 90% of people who are really talented, really engaged, and now feel like, hey, why are these policies being put in place? Because I don't do those things. And so it, it again is a balance in terms of we want to protect ourselves legally on the one hand, but we don't want that tail to, dag, to wag the dog such that we're hurting uh, the best part of our workforce who doesn't present performance attendance problems and are enthusiastic in their work. You've been in employment law for a long time and a big advocate uh, with working with many clients. So if you were to break down, just to make a, a suggestion of the first things that come to mind for our listeners today to help them you know, think about being more savvy from protecting themselves from, a, from workplace legal issues, what are just the top things that you recommend when it comes to being proactive? Well, the first thing may be elementary, and certainly for larger employers it is, but for smaller employers, it's very important to have an employee handbook or a set of policies and procedures 
that everybody knows about that can be applied consistently and uniformly and prevent you from making ad hoc decisions that work to your disadvantage. Because without a set of guidelines, a set of policies, um, we sometimes act pursuant to our instincts and we're going to give our favorite employees all the benefits of the doubts and those people we don't like so much or because and for good reason you know they complain they make gossip they may create other problems for us we tend not to give them as long a string and that's what gets us into legal problems because we haven't distinguished in a in a evidentiary way one employee from the other but in the situation in which now I'm going to take action against employee A because I don't like him and he didn't show up for two days in a row without calling in and he can point to employee B, C, and D who are in different protected statuses and did the same thing and, and weren't fired for it, we, the employer, are in trouble if we don't have a policy that we have consistently applied. And so those become step one. Step two is making sure that you are applying the policies consistently and uniformly so that you can set them any way you want. Most states, and Indiana is certainly at the top of this, are at-will employment situations. So you can fire somebody for good, bad, or no reason at all and not face a legal challenge based on just the discharge itself. But we're surrounded by all these discrimination statutes that mean we need to treat people the same because the essence of discrimination is treating people differently under similar circumstances. So our training on top of the policies helps us in terms of the sexual harassment policy, the way in which we govern attendance and, and getting our managers and supervisors attuned to what we will tolerate and what we won't tolerate and overall in the training, what is our objective? We need to, again, accomplish the good things without exposing ourselves to risks on on the negative side. Yeah, thanks so much for that. And, you know, I know that these are just a, a few topics of so many, but I think just um, knowing and having an understanding of some of the key things that are real, real in our companies right now that, you know, if these things are happening and we're really trying to focus on driving engagement and these strong brands behind the names of our company, we have to make sure that we're legally sound behind it. So just such such good information. I'm going to change and, and shift us just a little bit here because I know you and I have a strong belief that HR should have strong leadership. You know, they should be strong leaders on that team and should be more incorporated alongside the executive team as a unified front. And we see a lot of times that that's just not the case. It's very separate. And so we wanted to talk just a little bit about centralizing HR. So first of all, I'd love to hear, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that look like when you've got, you know, a centralized HR strategy and how are companies doing this well? I think the primary concern um, that pushes down the HR function is that it is a staff function. Uh, it doesn't, on its face, contribute to the bottom line. And therefore, it often gets subordinated in organizations because it costs money and, and we don't see that it's making us any money. The other element is that it begins to subsume, if it's done properly and it's listened to and it's respected, it begins to subsume um, some of our power. In other words, you know what, I, I like 
being a person at XYZ company in a supervisor or managerial role so that I can tell my friends, hey, here's who I am. And yes, I want to hire your child or I want to hire this friend or, or, or this neighbor. And I don't want anybody to tell me that that's not a sound decision to make because of some legal concerns that might surround it. And so where you have an HR function that you're either not listening to or you're not supporting through wages and benefits and a seat at the table, you're really doing a disservice to the organization. So the problem with either not an empowered human resource function or one that isn't centralized in the sense that before you're making as a, as a company decisions relative to who you're hiring, who you're not, who you're promoting, who you're not, how much you're paying to whom, each of those decisions has a whole set of legal concerns surrounding it. And if you don't engage the human resource function in that decision making, you're setting yourself up for real problems. And that's where the human resource function contributes to the bottom line. It's saving you money every time you don't have to hire me or another lawyer to defend you in a lawsuit or against a civil rights charge because a poor decision has been made. Conversely, for the human resource function itself, it has to understand its objective. And one of the problems we sometimes see is that, yes, I want to be involved in the hiring decisions, but I'm going to, I'm going to take three weeks to get you that hire that you need tomorrow. That's human resource functions problem. Or I want to be the conscience of the organization. I view myself that way. And so each time you tell me what you want to do as an operations manager or other, or other executive, I'm telling you, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. That's not lawful. As opposed to getting things done quickly and efficiently and saying to those who are asking you to do things, accomplish objectives, I want to be a part of that team I don't want to tell you no, I want to tell you how you can accomplish the objective in a legal manner um, such that you're not exposing yourself in ways you don't need to from, from the legal side. Yeah, such great perspective and advice. Dave, these shows go so fast. We're almost out of time. We're going to take just a quick break and then we're going to come back to what we call the lightning round and learn just a little bit about you. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, and Dave, welcome back to Gut Plus Science. So we're going to do what we call the lightning round, which is just an opportunity for us to learn a few things about you. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Just give us short answers, and we just get to gain a little insight into your life. So Dave, what hobby do you most enjoy outside of work? I would say uh, it's going to be sports related. I'm very active and tennis is probably my favorite hobby. I play, play a lot of tennis. We have a tennis court and it's really a, a great way to exercise and, and have fun. Yeah, I love tennis too. Favorite vacation spot? 
I would say Italy. It's just such a great place because you can be active there. You can ride bikes up hills in Tuscany and it's got great food and wine. It's a pretty tough place to be. Nice. And who is your alma mater? Uh, both uh, undergrad and law schools, Indiana University. Undergrad, uh, I have a degree in both accounting and finance, and I think that's really contributed well to practicing employment law, giving a practical perspective and, and looking at things from the business standpoint as well, uh, rather than just a straight legal uh, approach to things. That's awesome. Go Hoosiers. And Dave, how can our listeners reach you if they want to follow up? I am at uh, Bose McKinney and Evans, uh, and you can reach me uh, at uh, uh, the email uh, address is dswider at boselaw.com, B-O-S-E-L-A-W.com. And uh, the telephone number is 317-684-5161 at Bose McKinney and Evans. All right, Dave, thank you for such a unique show and something that all of us need to take into consideration and just make very high awareness around some of these issues in our workplace. And so it was a unique show today and I think really important for our listeners. And we really appreciate you sharing a couple things just for takeaway as far as the truth you can act on section of Gut Plus Science, where really I challenge you as listeners to think through a couple of things that you can bring back to your teams and talk about, brainstorm around, or put on the list to drive engagement or a healthier culture. Um, So a couple things. One, have a strong relationship with an advisor for employment law issues to ensure you've got a sounding board and routine feedback from an expert to guide your... HR practices. So I think that's really important to have someone like that in your life and enough, you know, having them with you enough and on that right system to be in conversation with them. And number two, I think reviewing your training practices around things like harassment, discrimination, diversity, you know, are they up to date and is your cadence frequent enough? Because it's really easy to do something wrong (laughs) and making sure that our people are aware of these things, just the simple things that we need to watch what we're saying and um, how we're acting and our behaviors. And I think, you know, all of us can sit back and take a look at what are the trainings that we're doing? Are they up to Today and are we doing these frequently enough? So with that, guys, that is another episode of Gut Plus Science on the books with Dave Swider today. Really enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.